Hello, and welcome to MadeCast. This is Edmonton's design podcast, proudly produced by MADE, Edmonton's not-for-profit design society. Today, we acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis peoples. This podcast series is brought to you by Dialogue. Dialogue's integrated team of architects, landscape architects, interior designers, and engineers have meaningfully improved communities in Edmonton for over 60 years. I'm your host, Cody Johnston. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Pollock. In this week's episode, Dara discusses with us founding Loyal Loop Collective, her experience being one or one of the few females in a male-dominated classroom in trade at Nate, and her journey of woodworking that involved being exposed at a young age to tools and using the foundation in her art background to fuse these skills together. Yes, I was so glad that Dara provided us with such a thoughtful and intimate conversation about her diverse life and career. She's an artist, designer, and carpenter living in Edmonton. She obtained a Bachelor's of Architecture from the University of Alberta in Industrial Design. She's worked for the Edmonton Arts Council. She's completed residencies at the Snap Gallery and Banff Centre. She's also a founder of the Loyal Loot Collective. And in her carpenter lifetime, she's become a Red Seal carpenter and since 2014 has worked at Studio Bramble, creating some of the nicest furniture in Edmonton. This podcast episode is brought to you by Rockcliffe Pierschilo Quermin Architects, HCMA Architecture and Design, Hodgson Schilf Evans Architects, and GEC Architecture. Please sit back and enjoy our conversation with Dara. I'm Cody Johnston, and I'm here with Stephanie Pollock. And today we're interviewing Dara Humniski. Thanks for having me. To start off, why don't we introduce you to the audience? A little bit about who you are, where you came from. I am from Edmonton. I was born in Saskatoon, but I moved around the prairies a few times, so basically Edmonton's home. But um, I'm an artist and a woodworker and carpenter. And I guess also a designer slash maker. <laughs> uh, but I guess on paper, I'm, uh, I have a Bachelor of Design from, I did an industrial design at the UA. And then I, a little bit later on in my life, I got my Red Seal Journeyman Carpentry ticket. And so I finished that in 2018. So, And then I'm also an artist. The program at U of A is pretty open, so I was able to take some studio classes there, um, in mostly in drawing, um, a little bit in printmaking. Um, but because it was that general route, I focused on furniture design and um, some just like general studio practices. And this was this was after the Red Seal, or this was the Red Seal. Process? This was before, so oh. right after high school, I. I jumped into U of A. I actually didn't get into the design program the first time I applied. <laughs> um, so I did a general year and then I reapplied, got in and then finished. And it's a three year, three years after, or four years altogether. Actually, I had, um, I had a similar experience not getting into, I was, I was doing physics in my undergrad and I didn't get into any of my design, nothing in design. And it was very uh, discouraging. Mm-hmm. So 
glad, mm-hmm. I'm glad you stuck it out. Yeah. I started out actually, um, when I did get into the design program, at first I was in the business um, and engineering route. So you take advertising, you take entry-level uh, computer programming and the, whatever the entry-level engineering classes. And um, after this, I think my second year, I just switched to general because it allowed me more flexibility to take some studio classes. Um, and I just knew that the engineering side wasn't quite for me. <laughs> but um, I'm still glad that I took those courses, but I just wanted to um, pursue more fine art and just have that, that openness. So. And was there like a per- particular like type of fine art that you were really drawn to or what like did you find a passion there i think i mean you kind of you start out and everybody takes a year of fundamentals at first and so um i just continued on with drawing i really loved just drawing in general i wasn't really i did one painting class and i, I didn't do any sculpture but it was just work on work on paper that interested me and can't really say why um, that was versus painting, but I just, there's just something about maybe the immediacy of, of drawing and the detailed nature of it. And like basically maybe connected to my furniture design development too, where everything just starts on a blank piece of paper. And so that was always where I began all of my ideas, whether they were for design or for fine art. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's portable too. It's like very um i don't know if democratic is the right word but it just anyone can do it anywhere sort of thing well accessibility is yeah it's whether mm-hmm. whether that was a, a whether anything was a barrier for you or not accessibility mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. uh half the battle sometimes when you're in the creative mm-hmm. process so did you like you kind of made a switch obviously at some point because you were you were you were going down the fine arts path the industrial design path and then mm-hmm. the scale maybe that's the right word grew a little bit into well industrial design covers furniture too but but then you started doing furniture mm-hmm. so what what was the trigger or what sort of things happened uh when you wanted to change course um i'm not sure if there was a so what trigger. were you doing after you got your industrial design degree did you go into that field then did you go into the fine arts in, in that field right away yeah so uh, like i kind of did i feel like i trained in both concurrently um, like I had shop experience, um, because of my dad, he was, um, kind of like a general can fix anything type of guy who built a lot of stuff and he built his own garage and, um, built, uh, like fixed cars and, um, let us kind of play around in the garage on the weekends with him. Like we were able to, to build things for ourselves and he built us furniture and we sort of like helped us as young kids. Um, so I had experience, uh, using tools from a pretty young age. Um, and I was the, actually, I was the youngest of four actually. So, and we did a lot of things together. It was four kids under five. So we kind of did everything together. Every activity was, um, planned for all of us, but because I was the youngest, I feel like I probably got to do the most amount of things that maybe weren't, age appropriate necessarily or like I could do I had probably the most um I just wanted to do everything that they did so I think I probably got to try things a lot um younger than maybe a normal average person would um so yeah so um 
I can remember using hand tools and like simple tools like bandsaws and drill presses and stuff when they're like before I was a teenager ish. Um, like with supervision, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I do, I do remember one small accident. Um, and looking back on it, it was you know it was an invaluable experience. Like my sister and I were in the shop, and I don't remember what we were making, but um, she was on the drill press, and in like in a split second, some of her hair got caught in the machine and, and ripped out. So. Um, I mean, in the moment, it was really traumatic for her, but for me, uh, because she was okay, uh, I was able to learn from it very clearly from a very young age, you know, that tools can be dangerous, but um, with respect and caution and care, you really can approach anything. Um, so I gained a, a very healthy amount of fear and respect uh, in tools from a really, really young age. Um, I also remember, <laughs> these might seem like small things, but I think they, they laid a foundation for, for me wanting to just make things. Um, I remember my grandfather who was a carpenter, um, he told me measure twice, cut once. And I thought he had invented that phrase and I just thought it was the wisest thing that I had ever heard. <laughs> um, and I also remember just having a lot of creative outlets um, as a kid. Um, my dad had made us this easel, this bright red easel that had two sides on it so that we could, you know, paint on it together. Um, I remember going to art camp when I was a little kid and uh, having an art club in elementary school. Um, we always, always made our Halloween costumes. Um, and the scale was really, uh, big too. Like we, we would just get really inventive in, um, with cardboard. <laughs> and, uh, my mom, aside from my dad being really handy, like my mom, uh, also was really, uh, talented and, you know, she sewed and taught us how to knit and crochet and do all these things with her hands too. And, um, you know, I also remember loving Mr. Dress Up <laughs> when I was a really, really little kid and just, you know, him, I have a vision of him like burned in my mind about, you know, making anything with a piece of paper and a marker or a pair of scissors or something. You, like you really didn't need anything more than that to create a whole nother world. So, um, and so I... You know, I had creative interests in high school. I kind of didn't really necessarily know what I wanted to do. And I didn't really, I didn't have the confidence to pursue a fine arts degree. And maybe I didn't, I wasn't necessarily encouraged to get a fine arts degree too. Um, so finding the industrial program at U of A was good because I could, you know, it was creative. It wasn't um, as technical as engineering. Like there would still be some creative aspects to it. And so at the U of A, you do, you do general art classes, you are in the shop for three years, and so you just are on, you're, you're learning, you're on the tools, essentially. Um, and in my, I'm just trying to think of when I met all these people, but there's um, three people in particular that I met, um, three other women that um, we formed this collective, loyal collective in our last year of school. Um, that's Carmen Duville and Anna Thomas and Dilma Chavid. Um, he's in gallery now and so we just um, applied for a 
uh, it was a design competition, um, an exhibition um, to just, it was um, put on by Mother Brand, a Toronto company. And uh, they were planning exhibitions for ICFF, um, just gathering work about Canadian design or what is Canadian design today. And so there's three products that we designed for that that were accepted. And so we kind of started the company before we had even graduated. And so as soon as school was done, we just kind of kept trying to keep that momentum going with Lloyd Elite. So we just um, designed products that were like small batch made either 100% by us or like partially done by local craftspeople. Um, and we just started doing exhibitions and um, going to those furniture fairs. And so uh, we just, we all had part-time jobs uh, at the beginning. And so we were just doing that at the same same time. Like Loyal Oak's still, still going. Um, it's mainly done, like the, the main work, I guess, uh, is done by Anna and Doha now. And Carmen and I both do, we have other projects um, that we're pursuing. And that change only happened um or it happened around 2012. So uh, that Loyalu, you know, went the whole time. So we used different shop spaces, I guess, but it was a lot of like working outside, working in our garages. Um, and so we did that for a little while, uh, for like five or six years. And then I started working at the, I did a few different odd jobs, um, but nothing like, Nothing officially in, in carpentry. I was a florist for a short time, which was one of the best jobs I've ever <laughs> ever had. Um, I worked at IKEA. Uh, I actually started there in at the beginning of the university, and um, I worked there for seven years. And by the time halfway through, I started working for the communications department, which is um, they do all the industrial or the all of the display setups. So there's interior design. Um, there's an interior design team, um, there's graphic designers, there's carpenters there, and, and, and also builders that build on the display work. So I was involved with that. And I left at a point where Loyalute was sort of gaining more steam, where I could um, work on that a little bit more full-time. Um, that's when the part-time job sort of receded. And so that was all kind of happening and I started working at the Engine Arts Council and I that was full-time um helping to manage the public art program oh. um running the juries and being a liaison between the artist the architect and the construction team um so I was there for two years and so um that was you know full-time working in an office um but administrating um art projects in the city uh and around the time when i left 2012 that's when i spent more time um working on my own artwork i'd say like that's sort of when things like my own art practice took off so it was always sort of i had been in group shows and some cafe shows i guess um between the time of university and and 2012 but after 2012 that's when i sort of got a little bit more serious about it and um stepped step back from loyalist so that I could pursue that. I also left to start doing residencies too, short-term ones. Um, I did one at the plugging gallery in Winnipeg. Um, and uh, coming back, I just sort of 
you know, did odd jobs. My parents were building a house, so I helped them do some stuff with that. And a friend of mine had started a construction company. So he, a friend that I had worked with at the Arts Council, um, he worked for a mutual friend, uh, Dave Renier, and he started a design build company, um, construction company. So that was um, a small independent company. I think he, you know, it was between five and 15 staff at any time. So it wasn't like a huge, huge company like Clark, but it was construction proper. I guess I was working outside, um, for a year and a half, two years. And then I started to realize that I actually really enjoyed building. And, um, I, you know, I was able to be on tools more often and I, um, I, I sort of knew that I could pursue, I, I didn't really know exactly how to get my ticket, but um, once I knew about the system here in Alberta, it just made sense to to go and get my um, red seal because the way that trades work here in Alberta is that if you, uh, at least with carpentry, um, school is two months of the year and then you're working for the other 10 months. So you're gaining work experience each year. Um, and there's lots of uh, funding and scholarships to go um, as well. So it just, it's sort of a no-brainer to go um, because you uh, you do this intensive school period that it's not your whole year. And tuition is a lot more affordable than um, going to, like, the university. Um, so it would just seem like a no-brainer to go. And you, you're working almost the whole time. Anyway, so you're, you're the person you work for is sponsoring you to do your ticket. Um, and you do have to work for a company that has someone that is the, you have to, um, it's called junior apprenticeship. Sorry, I should, should have started with them. But, um, so that's when I started for, uh, all of our apartment, which is now called Studio Bramble. And I've been with them since 2014. Wow. And here we are. You know, since I started my ticket and since I started with all of our apartments, like I've had a lot of, um, freedom and like support from them to be able to do things like residencies and to take time off to um, work on a big project or um, I think I went to the BAM Center for a short period of time. Um, there was an opportunity at the, at, uh, the AGA to do an intensive um, studio project there for eight weeks um, and then teaching a little bit. I covered a sabbatical at the U of A uh, in furniture design and I've done some other like teaching, you know, drop-in art classes, things like that. So there's been a lot of things, you know, in the realm <laughs> or like a, a lot of um, different projects on the go at all times, but it definitely had a, a, a crazy few years. I definitely the like 20, 2012 to 2018 was a, a, a very busy period for me um to the point where i felt like really burnt out because i feel like there's there's a fine line between um momentum and like building your career and like trying to find the next opportunity and building on the last one um but it, yeah the, the it can really easily turn into burnout mm -hmm. there's there's so many things when you were talking that that i wanted to um address each in particular but I, I think I'll start with um do you think that that mentality of my core goal and strengths and ideology is to be an artist and to do art and or design and, and furniture design and, and furniture making 
Um, but do you think that during that process of becoming that, um, that the journey has to be so tumultuous and that you have to have part-time jobs to sustain it and you have to have, uh, you have to jump from here to there and all these things. Is, is that, mm-hmm. is that part of being an artist mm-hmm. for you or, or is that like, I mean, you worked at the arts council, so you have a bit of the other side of, of the, let's try to give artists some regularity and some security. And then you're mm-hmm. also the artist of like, what security do I have? I don't know. I just have to go pedal to the metal and produce and produce and produce and network and try and get lucky and, and that kind of thing. So I guess my question is, is, does the journey have to be that tumultuous? You think, or did you feel like it was tumultuous? It was for me. I don't know if it has to be that way for everybody else. I think um, there's just so many factors. I think for a long time, I felt really torn in either direction all the time. But now that I'm a little bit older and I can see like where my where my skills are and how to apply them and how similar they are applied, whether I'm working on a design project or or an artwork. Okay. Yeah, I just I the the connections between everything. I, I couldn't really see it as a, a younger person. I couldn't I couldn't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. So around the um, around uh, 2011, 2012, um, I was starting to apply for grants and residencies, and um, I guess maybe more career-focused jobs. And so I was trying to develop my CV, and it, it felt like it was in two places at once. Like you're you're trying to professionalize all your experiences and say, you know, this is who I am. And it was hard for me to say I'm one thing or the other. Um, so it, in a way, it made it just made me question whether I should have just done one thing over the other. You know, like would I be further ahead if that was the case? Um, I wasn't sure if I was really learning and growing in in both, or if I was failing in both. <laughs> um, but later on, like as I was going through my apprenticeship, um, I I was gaining more confidence as my tool and building knowledge really expanded. So. It, it was making me a better artist because um, that craftsmanship and problem-solving vocabulary grew. So um, I also started to realize that I probably would be very quickly bored or frustrated with just the one outlet. And really, it's it's um, more of a luxury or a gift to be able to have skills to be able to move back and forth. Um, and it was also good for me to remember that, like any... Any art or design or architecture movement, um, they really they develop and evolve in in tandem. So they they're inextricably linked. Um, and you know later on, I I was able to put my finger on the thing that um, was repelling me from design from time to time, and that is is that it's inherently positive, and like I struggle with with this and. So with visual art, like I can, I could explore ideas with with nuance, you know, with a with a bigger emotional range, and I get to ask like open ended questions. Um, and with artwork too, like it's it's imbued with ideas of design, like like labor and craftsmanship and um, women's work and you know the the immaterial value of, of objects like sustainability, um, resource extraction, all sorts of things. Um, so, you know, the subject matter overlaps quite a bit. 
Um, and, you know, art is, <laughs> art is absolutely harder to, to do, but um, to put it really simply, like if, if you're going to spend your life doing and working on something, it, it should be something difficult. So now I have, um, now that I'm older, I just have a, a firmer commitment to pursue both, and I'll never, I'll never give up the, the art making. Did that, did that change? Like, like, not, not to say that there was, but if there was some sort of insecurities before, before like landing in uh, the design side of things, and like really carpentry and and, and with Studio Bramble. But was there was this sort of like um, turbulence when you were an artist that you don't feel now? Like, do you feel because you mentioned like there's a bit bit more stability maybe or something like that? Like, do, do you does your heart rate feel less overall or something like that now that you've got a, a different type of position? Or um, I think that the older I get, the I have a more general but deeper sense of confidence within myself. And I think that that just gradually, I gradually built that up. I've, I, I mean, everybody has moments in their life where there's like before and after moments, like just major events. And so there was something that happened in 2012 that I felt like I really had to stop and like take stock and decide what, you know, what, I, what was really important to me. And like, um, I just looked at all the things that I was doing and which things I was sort of, posting on or like relying on other people like with Lou, I was really I was already relying on um the other girls to take on a lot of the workload like they were sort of they were doing all the work but didn't have all the credit <laughs> um so with you know with that life event I just was able to say like no we should you know we should make things um I should be able to communicate and like formalize what my role, what I want my role to be. And it did show me that I, you know, I do want to pursue, pursue art more seriously and that I, I could do it and I could, I would be taken seriously, I guess, and that my ideas were good, but I, I've never, um, I've always been kind of not opposed, but just like turned off by hustling super hard, like trying to, um, it's, it's tough because it, you have to um to be a full-time anything on your own like you're you're not you're not entrepreneur like you have to be your own business person and, and accountants and um the person that attracts new clients and deals with all like i don't i've never had employees so i can, but i can imagine that um just like all the logistics and the administration i've never been one to jump at doing so i've always tried to find jobs that allow me to just focus on the making side of things so and I found that it works really well that I like with carpentry and with woodworking um for Studio Bramble like I'm I don't have to be the author and I'm, I'm not the author or designer um there I'm I'm the woodworker I'm the person that, that builds the things but so I can save um my creative energy for my own art practice so even though i'm you know i'm not invested in it full time like i'm saving different parts of my mental energy i found that it just it just struck a good good balance you can kind of compartmentalize yeah i feel like i use the same skill set whether i'm building something or um 
creating an artwork for myself. It's just that with the, with the artwork, like it's just a different type of thinking. Like it's, um, there's the conceptual side of things that you need to really dig into. And so what are you working on art wise right now? Not a whole lot since COVID happened. Um, I, I looked over the, um, all the goals that I wanted to do. At the, I like I wrote a list of things that I wanted to get done in 2020. And a lot of them weren't, um, like I'll make this amount of, uh, this amount of paintings or drawings or like artworks per se. It was more like, I need to update my website and I want to just you know, explore different materials. I want to make ink. Um, and so like the, the goals I had were, um, just to do, I wasn't going to apply for anything either. I kind of decided that I just wanted to spend the year, um, making whatever I wanted, just, you know, just to see what I was interested in doing next. I didn't have any projects lined up. So then, then COVID happened and it really kind of shifted priorities. Like I, I think for some people it's, it, or it seemed like there was pressure, like, Oh, you have all this free time now. You can just, you know, create your next masterpiece or, you know, be super, super productive and um, optimize this time. But like, I just found that I couldn't do that. I think that was probably the reality for a lot of people, but I think that there was a lot of um, noise online, I guess, um, that you could, you know, optimize this, this time off. So what I've done, I feel like for the last year has just been drawing, like sketching privately, like in my own private sketchbooks, writing more regularly, uh, like using writing prompts. So it's not necessarily about, um, writing like a new artist statement or anything like that. I've done tactile things like um, sewing and mending and like embroidery projects, which I kind of needed to do something tactile and soft. Um, I sort of, I started a secret mending account <laughs> on Instagram. It's been like a, a quiet um, period, but I think I, I think I've needed that. And there, there are still like some things that are kind of burning in the back of my mind. And one of them is the project, the collaborative project that I have with my husband, uh, Mr. Kowski. We have this, I sent you guys a photo of it, the, the end narrative. We have this ongoing project, which is to use two words that each are three letters each and install them in different public situations, I guess you could say. And we've got more ideas for those. So the first one was the end, which we installed in using our apartment windows. Um, that was backlit. Um, that was created for the first new blanche in the city. Cause our apartment kind of looks down on so You can see it from Churchill square. So it was, we weren't invited to do, it was just like a gorilla addition to new blanche. Um, but since then we've done a couple more. One was, um, you win. And that was on Jasper Avenue in the jobber window. It's used for installations, temporary installations. That's right by, right by the ice house, Rocky Mountain Ice House or something. Yeah, yeah. Next oh, I saw that one. Nice. Okay. Yeah, and then um, made me feel good. One in Bel- good. <laughs> See, yeah, it's it's, it's um, there are always statements that people could interpret in different ways, and so it's um, a lot of people. It, like it was sort of not often split fifty fifty, but some you can read it either way. We did Not Yet in our friend's studio in Brussels. Um, and then we did one, I said, um, the Too Far, which was out on the friend's acreage um, near Athabasca. Uh, and that one is backlit with solar lights. 
and in all other circumstances, they've like been backlit almost to feel like a billboard or like a um, installation on like a just a sign, like a commercial commercial signage. Um, so we've got some plans for two more of those. We just have to find like the right the right venue. So similar, I guess, similar in scale. Um, but we, there's one involving water, so <laughs> we're just trying to see if we can um, have it be upright, floating, like a raft type thing, or if it'll just be something that lays like just below the surface. And then I we have there's some other things that are on the back burner. One of them is helping fish with um, a short film, and then also a graphic novel, which is very just in the works right now so like it's it's small things and mostly essentially just with my partner that's so cool yeah and have you found a big difference um and well we can talk about the other ones as well but have you found a big difference positively or negatively working by yourself versus working with somebody because i know you have other projects at the aga that you've done Mm -hmm. um with other people and other artists Mm -hmm. and things like that but yeah, are there any challenges that you find or any um, surprising or natural benefits from working with other people? I don't know about surprising, but like working, I do really like to work collaboratively because I think you can, you basically can bring the best out from each other and you can complement each other, like different, no matter um, the personality type too. Like I think that if someone, I don't know if I've ever worked with someone who is exactly the same type of person as I am like that's kind of the beauty of working collaboratively like you just you um everybody has their strengths and weaknesses and you can just you can rely on each other and then also you can just if one person is tired the next person can you know you just you can buttress each other up depending on what what everybody needs at whatever time because it was definitely something that uh attributed to the success of like having the four of us work together there's just a lot of of energy and with that and um energy to to make the products and to prototype and have the um excitement of trying new things like it's um you you encourage each other and when we were at exhibitions and trade shows like it's a very draining process you know to to travel far away to set up your booth and to to be at a trade fair all weekend and so um with the four of us we were really able to um make the most out of it i guess um and same thing with uh my husband like we we we're similar and different in lots of different ways and so it's nice to be able to have the strengths of two people you know, to work from other than just one person. So, but I mean, there's inevitably, like you're going to have a difference of opinions, but you just have to come to consensus, I guess. Like with four people, you know, we were able to talk things through and have everybody, you know, everybody had their say. And then we just decided as a group what was the best thing. So it kind of, I think no matter what, we always found the one decision that we were going to make. Um, sometimes it was easier than others, but same thing with my husband like I think it works best when we are working on something that doesn't have to do that's like outside of our normal purview so with this with this installation public art project like it's not um it's very different from all the artwork that I've done like it's not drawing it's just like text two words six letters so there's these parameters we just 
can work well together, I guess. <laughs> and so, but I guess on the other hand, if I'm if I'm working on my own work, artwork, it's like maybe it's more personal. Like I'm I'm the sole author, so I can go as deep into whatever feelings I want or whatever ideas I want to pursue. Like I, you know, I'm I'm the director of that ship, so that's really rewarding. Too, it's also very like the. Maybe the stakes are higher too when you uh, are doing something on your own because it's you know it's if you if you fail it's all on you. <laughs> I guess I'm not like really going after glory. I just want the ideas to be the best, and so I'm my own worst critic and most enemy. So if I'm just doing something on my own, like the the roller coaster of emotion that I go through when I'm working on a project is like very predictable and like you know I feel confident and interested in the subject at first and then I like kind of I'm into it and I like there's no turning back um especially like the lead up like right until right before things are like do or need to be done like I have this moment or at least like half a day of like really deep doubt and then you know I get through that and so when I'm working with other people, I can, I can like shut down, uh, my own voice, like negative, um, voices a lot easier because if I'm there with other people, then I feel like it's my job to help them. And so I can like, I'm more worried about, you know, helping them. I think like they're counting on me. They're counting on me. And it's just, it's just, uh, easier to let myself like go to a negative space if I'm working on my own. So I like I, I I like both I guess but um, the collabor the collaborations I've been a part of before have been really wonderful I haven't really had any negative ones actually pretty lucky I think no no horribly wrong group projects that's good no <laughs> I guess like the more people involved like the more complicated it can get like I for a while with friends of ours we uh, had a music festival like a small like independent like rock and roll festival at my friend's uh, acreage. What was it called? Uh, that was Golden West Music Fest. <laughs> I went there. You did? I went twice. Yeah, yeah. I hope you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> did a lot of things I can't say on the radio. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a lot of fun. I had a really, I had some really amazing moments in uh, all three of those, but it was like an incredible amount of work and with, um, every year we kind of involved more and more people because we didn't want to burn ourselves out and we needed we really didn't need more help like by the end of it you just have to really delegate uh, responsibilities and like final decisions with other people like you almost need to decide I mean it, it just depends on the personalities like the more people there are and the more personalities to work around like you kind of have to have a more defined structure of who in the end is going to make what calls you know like in what percentage like if someone is just two people like maybe having a 51 percent vote is 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 helpful but i think it just depends on the situation but for the most part like i've always had a consensus building collaborative process so i've been really lucky so there was i'll just ask one more because you brought up the music festival but there was a lot of art there. Like there was uh, art mm -hmm. in the forest and the stage was uh, mm -hmm. very artfully done. You know, there's a lot of accents everywhere. And then there was like, uh, one of the years there was like a huge grasshopper, wooden grasshopper structure that was built and burnt as like mm -hmm. a bonfire. Did you have any hand in any of those art projects at that at the music festival? I had a hand in helping to curate that, but that was, um, I'd say that would, 
was primarily led by my husband. Like he helped, um, he was sort of, he initiated a lot of the artist names, but we kind of, everyone had a, a voice in who we brought in and we always tried to have like two or three people every year and different, different mediums. So like it was, um, Blake was the, uh, the guy that did the burning structure every year, but the, the big bonfire element, I think, were you there the third year? There was, there was a number of bonfires the third year. Um, and I had this hand in, in, in building the smaller one, but those like the, the large, um, marching band hat and the grasshopper and the other structures that those were sort of the brainchilds of other, other people. But I mainly helped with just facilitating those things and finding people the right tools when they needed, needed it. And then there was, uh, in the, in the final year, there was like a piece of architecture, I guess, like the, there was a, a hut in the trees, sort of a, um, an oracle essentially, uh, tending the clouds. She, uh, she's from Edmonton, but she lives in Belgium now. She, um, was the one that facilitated that and so people could enter like climb up this ladder enter into the tree canopy and then talk to this this oracle essentially and ask whatever questions they they wanted to or just listen and so that was great she sat in there um throughout the nights and so that i think i had the most hand in building but that was kevin bowen is the guy that we've been that we used his land um for the festival so he he's also a carpenter, and so we kind of we both did. Nice. I'm gonna ask you about your snap residency, and if you could talk to us a little bit about your etching. Um, the snap stuff came out around like 20, 2015 or twenty sixteen. I think it was a residency in twenty sixteen. So kind of leading up to that point, I had been doing um, mainly just just drawing works on paper and I had started doing um, drawings on walls and glass and windows and things like that. And so uh, the idea, I applied to, to do the snap residency um, from a project that I had uh, done in a place called the drawing room, um, which was an uh, independent gallery and studio space uh, just behind the art gallery um, or the AG. And so there I had, I discovered this new material called scratch card and it's um, a coated piece of paper that you can uh, lay different media on top of and then you can scratch away on that layer and you reveal something behind. Like it's usually in kids, like it's a uh, very often a kid's craft and it's like usually rainbow foil or like metallic foil underneath black. It's really satisfying to work with, but um, I started making multiples there for that show. And so I made a window full of um, life-size shells um and probably like a hundred or two hundred something like that and so I was um wondering what I could achieve installation wise if I started using printmaking to create multiples and seeing if I if there was a way for me to um still kind of customize and um individualize some of the leaves and so I applied with that idea in my Snap does uh, six months residencies for emerging artists. And so you get studio access and uh, you're able to take a class and um, you have yeah free, free access to the, to the studio. And then by the end, at the end of it, you also have a show uh, in the gallery. So while I was there, I did take an etching class um, as well as worked on screen printing. And so 
the screen printing screen printing I had done before in university that etching I had I hadn't touched before and so it's a whole another like level of, of printmaking but um I mean printmaking in general I can I understand why certain people like they they find their one medium in printmaking and just spend their entire lives becoming a master at that just because certain like certain types of printmaking it just demands that like with um with etching it's because you're working on a metal plate like there's no there's no going back like there's, you know there's a lot of planning involved and a lot of different steps that you have to take in order to you know create this plate and so yeah lots of times there is no going back you can do like tiny little fixes maybe but you really have to um be it's like concentrated dedicated work so i find it really super interesting like really difficult and so this the snap show that i had after like it did the primary focus of that was i would say screen printing i don't know if i showed any etchings until later on but with with etching there's just a different quality of line that you can get because it can it can be so fine like you can essentially use a needle to draw on a plate which is, which is sort of a strange process because it's so delicate yet you are manipulating metal and acid to create this do you find too that um like are were you able to kind of apply some of those skills with furniture making because like i mean if you're making something in wood like you can't make a you know a big mistake is not something you can go back and fix either right yeah totally i think there's like a mindset and approach like a calmness that you have to have and like a like a level like attention to detail and just like a familiarity with the material to how to manipulate something and like knowing which ways that the ways in which you can manipulate it without going too far <laughs> like wood is a living <laughs> material so it's you know 100 like there's things that you can and can't do with it but you just choose you just choose appropriately <laughs> um like with woodworking like depending on where you, like what it's going what you're building like and where it's going to go and you know what stress it has to be under like you you choose different materials based on what the final product is going to be and with with etching or printmaking you still yeah it's the same you're very aware of, of the materials that you're using um and you just have to approach them with or yeah maybe with caution because you know there's uh, i mean it's the same for both like with, with power tools or with um heavy machinery or with something like like toxic chemicals and acid like you do have to be careful so there's just like a level of respect that you have to have in in shaping any material and making pretty much anything so yeah there's a parallel for sure very cool yeah so so we, we're talking a little bit now more uh, your recent work, power tools and, and carpentry and, and things like that. When you got into carpentry, was it, uh, was it welcoming in the sense that you felt comfortable doing things and taking on tasks and discovering yourself and the, the trade itself? Or was it difficult? You know, I, especially being a woman in the trades, I, I, I know being a straight cis white male who is on the artsy end of the spectrum is difficult sometimes. So I can, I can't sympathize, but I can imagine that maybe there were some difficulties. Did you have any challenges starting out and do you have challenges today or, or are there challenges and issues that you see? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I feel, uh, 
yeah, there have been, but I I feel like I've been fairly lucky. Um, and the first thing, I think the first reason why that is, is because I've always worked for small independent companies. And so the first, which was with brand new design and build, like that was, I worked for my friend with my friends. So they were like, we were all young and like-minded. <laughs> you can cut this part out, but if you were at the festival, Dave was the guy running around in his underwear next to the bonfires, <laughs> like as close <laughs> as possible. And the man that was on top of the roof the final year blowing bubbles out of a bubble gun. Um, he was just like, a, um, <laughs> he just he was a wonderful man. Well, I can appreciate that. I don't know if I remember it. Uh, I, I think I remember an underwear underwear person. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's um, he's no longer with us, but he uh, he is just one of the most loved people I've ever met. Like, he, there were so many people around him that like cared really deeply for him. Um, and so I'm gonna <laughs> I didn't think I was going to talk about him, but he he definitely. He gave, I mean, I, yeah, he was my friend. And so it was like easy to be like, yeah, let's work together. You know, let's, let's go build stuff. <laughs> um, he, so he, like, it wasn't like he, I mean, maybe, maybe he just gave me a chance, you know, um, maybe, or maybe he took a chance on me. I don't know if that was totally it though. Cause like I, I did have a lot of experience. Like I had, you know, been on tools for so long. Like it was, I was not green compared to lots of people. Um, so, you know, starting out working for my friends was pretty easy, pretty, uh, easy. And I didn't have any issues with the, with my coworkers, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we were subcontracted to larger sites from time to time. So that, um, took some getting used to, I guess. Um, I felt like I had more eyes on me then. And I, I guess I feel, like, I feel like I should say that this could have been harder for me than, than other people based on my personality, which is um, maybe a bit more sensitive than the average person. But um, it feels like you can, you're can you either being looked at with suspicion or like you're going to be a distraction or unsafe or not tough enough or something, which is a little bit ridiculous, um, especially when you take steps to not be feminine. So I would have this uncanny feeling on site like not able to fully be myself mm. and so with school like when going to Nate I felt so you know it was it was mostly great like nothing I can't say that there was like one I never had like a terrible incident I guess like nothing I was never um called any names or like leered at or anything like that like um there's only there's only one female teacher I don't know, maybe that's changed in the last couple of years, but like one out of all of the teachers, like there just needs to be a little bit more visibility. And each year I was the only, I was either one of two or the only female in my group. So you just, you kind of, you feel like a little bit of an alien. Um, so the, the first year was sort of the, the, the strangest, I guess I'll use the word strange. Um, um, partly that was because I I was quite a bit older. And so with the first year intake of carpentry students, like it's a lot of really young guys, like starting fresh out of high school or even like 17, 18. And I'm, and I'm there at like 34, you know, so um, relating 
like building relationships and like relating to those guys like it was just a little bit difficult I guess like I didn't um I thought that when I went there it would be I sort of hoping for the same experience I had going to university like you find your your friend family there like you find the people that you you find your people essentially um you meet really like-minded people um but it's just a little bit more difficult um or was difficult for me um and I think it's maybe maybe it's random too I think probably other years there's maybe more female students but um Mm -hmm. so so here and there you you get comments um I remember in shop class for example um we take turns being a foreman assigning tasks and I was asked to do a cleaning job because quote women are better at cleaning and organizing um or if I did well on surveying, um, that I was cheating, or having done well on a test, you know, my professor had a daughter and therefore was taking it easy on me, um, like for like a math test, let's say. Um, so, so there are these uh, teasing but unnecessary comments, you know, probably not spiteful but still derogatory, and it essentially comes from a place of you know wanting to protect the male ego so it it comes from the past um and i feel like we just need to catch up um again moments like those i just i just want to fast forward in time or to a time where we get to step up to a plate on equal footing and we can just be plainly supportive of one another um so my, my negative experiences, they might seem a little bit tame, but I think the thing about them is, like, it's, it's cumulative, so it takes toughness to get over it and brush it all off um, repeatedly, you know? Like, um, I think four times now I've been, I've shown up on a site or uh, to do an install and been asked if I'm the owner's wife, you know? Like, I, I can't be just a carpenter. Um, so sometimes it does feel like I have to, I have to tell myself, like, I do belong in this profession. Um, and it's especially tough when you make mistakes, like you, you feel like you don't have what it takes to, to be there and that you've maybe made the wrong decision or wrong choice about getting into this field. So when you're the only one around you that looks like you, the, the, the stakes feel higher, like you're representing and maybe letting down your whole gender or, or group by failing, but like you don't have the luxury of anonymity. Um, so that being said, I guess I don't see myself as a, a trailblazer. Um, like I definitely think that we're, we're past this first wave of female carpenters, um, but things are, they're definitely not equalized uh, in the field, but um, I guess I just have some faith that eventually we'll, we'll get further along. Um, I just, I just want everyone to do their, their part. Do their part in, in making it better for the whole. Now I was going to ask you like what the, what the ratios were and things like that, but like to be the, to be the only person like, and how many, how many people, um, Avoid it just because of that reason? Like, oh, I don't want to get involved because 
X, Y, Z, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I know when I go on site as an architect or a prime consultant, whenever I have to go review things, it's like the job site's 90 or more percent uh, men, mm-hmm. right? And it, it does a little bit depend on what trades are there. But most of the time, the, the it's it's all men. And the, the talk and the conversation is in the style that you just mentioned. Like it's like this innocent but like unnecessary mm-hmm. sort of misogyny kind of thing that goes on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I actually remember one of the one of the projects I did was installing this like heavy timber, like this mass wood thing. And there was like a, a woman foreman leading the team and it was uh it was just so good to see and and she just, you know, by being competent, commanded respect from everybody and it was just like you know, it's just so nice to see. It's like, why, why is this so rare to see? You know, like, why why does she stand out so much? Almost was the kind of thing that I was curious yeah. about. And and you and you brushed on it. Like, we don't know the answer. We don't know the solution uh, to this question. But um, the fact that it exists kind of sucks. The one thing I didn't mention off the top was that when I when I was working for. Um, when you design and build, like the, we did have, um, he did have a female foreman that I got to work with. And so that was like, a, it was an easy, um, an easy in for me. And she had a ton of experience because I think, I mean, I don't know if she, I guess she was sort of an anomaly. Like she, her parents or her father was, um, and maybe her uncle too was a carpenter as well. And so she also started on tools really early and she was, um, working for a large company, I think from when she was 17 or 18, like, um, fairly young. And so by the time I started working with her, like she had already, like she was, uh, one of the leads on some road construction projects in the city, like part of the Hende and then also the, um, 99th street, um, expansion when they did, when they added another lane. So she had, but she had already had like more than a, more than a decade of like really solid experience. Um, and because she worked with her uncle, I think, or with her, there was, she had family that like they were working for the same company together. And so I think that because of that structure, like she, um, was worked like very hard. Like, I think she probably got it harder than other, like she was worked harder than other people because they didn't want to seem like they were playing favorites or anything. And so, but people were respected her for that because they just saw how hard she worked so she was a really good uh, role model for me um but yeah i don't know how many people can say that they um, have that experience so sometimes it feels like the stakes are different for women working in the trades because it's like if you're the only one then you have like you're a representative for your whole gender which is (laughs) unfortunate um but yeah, as far as um, changing that goes, I'm not really sure what the, the answer is. I mean, just to try and have more visibility out there and maybe do more legwork, like trying to attract more women to it. And like at the beginning of each year, there was always uh, like a bit of a speech about um, A, being on time. And like if you if you miss too many classes, like too many hours, even I think it's like 12 hours or something when you're out of the program, essentially, like it's sort of because it's like an intense two months. And so um, along with being on time showing up, there is a bit of a speech on um, like, you, you know, respecting others. But there's no like specific training about or like mention about bad behavior. Like it's just sort of implied that you should be respectful. And so it's just sort of a blanket thing. So I don't know if it needs I'm not sure if it would help if there was like 
a more of an explicit encouragement to well, like what isn't isn't tolerated. I think I want to like because I've always worked for small companies. Like I've been able to have it's always been like a tight knit group, and so I haven't had to deal with that stuff on a on a day to day level. But on the flip side of that, because it's a small company, like there's I guess I was thinking about this in terms of if like there's somebody listening out there that wants to get into the trades, like what are the pros and cons of, of working for a small company versus a big one? Like a, a small company, like I said, is, is you know, tight knit and um, so you can, you can find like-minded people and with the larger companies, like they'll have really explicit policies, but they may not like the day to day of being on site is not, it doesn't, you know, doesn't quite follow through. Like, but on the, there is, in H like a HR structure, which you know I don't have at my current job or any small company, like that sort of stuff um, isn't. It's a little lots of implied things, but there's no like formalization. Yeah, that makes sense. Where it's like it almost it's a little bit harder to speak up in a, in a small small place because there's uh, mm-hmm. news will travel faster, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the reality of like a big firm is like, is this policy just? To have the policy and do people actually care about it i do i do think things are changing like i feel like in the last um it seems like the last 10 years or so like maybe it's been longer than that but like the big thing has been about making work sites safer in general like um as far as you know just safe working practices and now this now that that's um OHS is really established like the next thing that is sort of trying to that people are trying to tackle is like mental health and just like the well-being side of of, of things so um not not working for a huge company I don't really know what it's what those strides are I guess but I feel like that's kind of on the next I feel like I'm hearing different initiatives that are that are trying to deal with, with mental health I have like a like a social aspect category that I want to touch on, and it involves Instagram, how Instagram has shaped art and design in your mind. Edmonton, so being uh, an artist in Edmonton, like a, like we mentioned, um, how Edmonton can kind of be difficult um, because of our culture. Um, how COVID is going to affect, or how you see it affecting art and the practice of art and those kinds of things. Um, and then the one last thing is um, the Edmonton Arts Council and its role in, you mentioned like connecting architects and those, and, and, and artists and, and um, curating all that stuff, connecting all the dots and things like that. So I, I'm curious about if you think Edmonton Arts Council is doing a good job at bringing together those items in general. I do feel like there's lots of different opportunities for funding through the Arts Council that is unique compared to other cities, but I know that it's still really competitive. And so for for my, like, while I was there, like, it was a really good experience for me to see, like, how a jury actually works and the dynamic between um, all the different jurors and, like, how consensus is is. Form. So that was really eye-opening and valuable for me. But and yeah, that hasn't, that hasn't changed. But there's always um, multiple voices on the jury committee. So it's just there's always um, it's not like there's just even though 
in the case of public art, there's one project that's chosen, but there's always lots of really good projects that don't get funding. So I always try and remember that when I'm applying for anything. But I'd like to hear your opinion on like Instagram and more. You kind of touched on it when you first started talking about like, you know, this illusion of always like go, go, go. And I don't know, maybe like perfectionism. And yeah, but, and then just like, you know, what, what the actual struggle is, because we all, we all struggle. Everyone wants to post that, you know, perfect little square, but how many times did you have failure or, you know, doubts? Like you said, you're a little like, I'm great. I'm not great. I'm great. I'm not great. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I have complicated feelings about it for sure like the things that i like about it or that i find really useful or at least inspiring like it's it's a source you know it's it's a connection point to all these other artists that i wouldn't necessarily get to meet or like see inside their studios and there's like i feel like i've, I've been able to tap into or at least see like what's going on in the world in a really like easy quick way and i've learned about all sorts of residencies all over the world through that and it's 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 interesting to see other artists um their process like just to see works in process and to see studio images and not just like the finished artwork on a wall in a gallery like it's kind of cool to, to pull the curtain back a little bit and see all of the different things that go into making a work so i like that fluidity um and like for me like i find it i just like that it can there can be multiple things that exist at once. Like I haven't updated my website for such a, like for at least a couple of years. And so Instagram, I've, that's sort of the main platform that I share stuff, but I, I, I share finished work, but I also show like sketches. I can show photos. Like I can just show whatever I think in the moment. So I feel like Instagram is like a more complete picture of my practice, even though it's, I guess, slightly less professional or like, um, enough professionals the right word but like the problem is is that it's just a tiny little square like it's really it doesn't really show um the full depth of, of the work itself or what it's like to experience in person and so you know if instagram is the only way that you're experiencing art like it, that i think is really sad and it's also a medium where the platform isn't like it 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 preys on your attention um and it's really trying to distract you and make you buy things and yeah there's definitely like a, the, a dark side to it that kind of starting to talk about now like i don't know i don't know if you guys like over christmas watched saw that there was a something on netflix or a new program on netflix called the social dilemma or a documentary like it's so good and i've, I've heard um tristan harris like speak before about those topics that you know like we really have to be aware of of what it's it's like social media in general is is doing to us like there there are benefits but there's we have to be really transparent and aware about what the, the negatives are and i'm really glad that i went through my teens and 20s without it for sure especially teens but yeah definitely i can i i I find inspiration there all the time and I, you know, it definitely generates like new, unique ideas for me. So I, I, I do value that, but I have to, I have to be careful too, because I definitely fall prey to, um, 
seeing other people's lives or other people's practices and you, you just don't have a full picture of what their life really really is or it's, it's not reality but but I think yeah just having having awareness of why are you on it what are you looking for is like are you do you feel good after you've you know spent 20 minutes looking at things or you know that yeah I think that's just that awareness piece makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a lesson in not uh, being sure to not waste too much time on on something without um, being tapped into what you're doing, mm-hmm. being conscious of what you're what you're, how you're spending your time and things like that. Mm-hmm. One last thing that that's lingering that I'm curious about more uh, personally as a designer in Edmonton than professionally as as a, a designer. But yeah, what's what's life like at Studio Bramble? I mean, are you are you enjoying your time there? Do you feel like how do you feel about the work that you output and things like that? Well, I can, <laughs> it's like it, it's great. I um I my role there, I would say that I'm a woodworker, so I don't have this um stress. I, I think I mentioned this before. Like I'm not I I'm not the author of or the designer of like the project so I when I contribute like I do contribute design ideas but it's more like when we're trying to refine something or you know have a discussion about something so it's like as a group we're trying to you know come to the, the best solution so I feel like I get the opportunity to kind of flex those muscles when when it's needed but for the most part I just get to focus on um the building side of things so that's good the shape of the company has changed like it's it's still you know relatively small and it's changed a little bit like definitely um leading up to covid there was seven of us and so but since that happened like we're back down to just four of us so there was you know before then like i had a my role was slightly different because now that i'm like a more senior person there with the new people like i kind of had to be involved with um like teaching and showing people things and like keeping them on track and also you know like just explaining things and you know trying to pay attention to their development there's like a, there's a certain level of stress when you're trying to you know work on a project but then also manage other people and um there's been times where it's been like up to maybe four people which maybe not doesn't sound like a lot to other people in other fields but like having having four people trying to keep four people busy and safe and like in a positive learning environment like and get good results out of the things that you're making can be kind of stressful so I'm grateful for that experience but like I'm I'm glad that I don't have to worry about that at this present time because it's just like we're back down to just the the four of us so so there's like a a nice um there's like a, a calm rhythm to the shop now that is just a little bit quieter <laughs> yeah so I don't know if I can speak too much about the work that we're doing or like the work that's coming up, but we're still like, it's still a nice balance between custom furniture projects for like individuals, but then also um, getting the opportunity to build things for like a new restaurant that's opening up or like a new, a new thing that's coming up in Edmonton. That's like, you know, from, those are, those are some of my favorite projects where it's like a young entrepreneur like a new a person that's starting a new business or like a person or or people that are starting a new business like I love being part of the team that gets to like help make their dream come alive that's really rewarding 
and definitely because of COVID, like not a lot of stuff has been opening, <laughs> lots of things have been delayed. So I feel like once we kind of get back on our feet this year and next year, there'll be there'll be more projects like that. But like uh, Rosewood is a good example. Like lots of um, those restaurants in town that have opened up. Like we've had a, a hand in making some of the fixtures or some kind of um, element or, or table or picture or something like that. So those are the ones that I really get a lot of enjoyment out of satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, I do get to spend like uh, long periods of time just like sanding and oiling wood and like just thought there's lots of time to listen to music and listen to podcasts and like get into like a rhythm and, and flow of, of things. So that's something I really enjoy. Like I'm grateful for that. And I don't know if this is another ta- uh, like a too weird tangent, but like I'm sure you guys have come across or heard about lean, lean manufacturing and like the lean philosophy. And so we've been trying to like listen to books and podcasts together that have that deal with it. And um, it's been more than a year now of, of trying to think about how we can make improvements like small and large and like everyday, everyday reflections on, on waste. So that's been, that's been really good and really helpful and something that like I've, applied to my own life too so i know that there's like lean i know it can be like a religion to to some people but um definitely been like a a beneficial thing for us so yeah actually the first uh the first uh person we interviewed shifraz he's uh he's quite prominent in the lean thinking community in edmonton so Mm -hmm. we had him come into our office and teach us some lean stuff so Yeah, it's a, it's very different from a, a in an office setting than it would be in a manufacturing setting. But mm-hmm. do you still have that? I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm completely putting a feeling in, in words in your mouth. But do you have do you still have that feeling when you finish a piece of furniture of complete satisfaction, like the smell of it, the touch of it, all of it? Like is it is it like kind of a euphoric thing when it's all done, or is it if the process is meditative? Is the finished product mm-hmm. easier or harder to let go? It's, <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, if, yeah, it is a meditative process. Like as long as we have enough time to do the thing well, like letting it go is never hard because it's always like going to a good home. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like they're reunited with this piece that they never knew that they needed or something. Or not reunited, but they, like, it's just, it's a, it's always like a, well, not always, but it's for the most part like a, a joyful thing when it can finally like be put in its home and like cherished that way and used every day. And like it's <laughs> it's never hard to let go of, I guess. Um, I feel I feel like I get attached to things too much, so I'm glad that you. Uh, I guess it's probably yeah. scales too that we would work at mm-hmm. um, your scale. You you put out a lot of product, so you have to mm-hmm. get real with that. I feel lucky that we've been able to, like, that we do get to do lots of different types of projects. And so, like, I obviously can't go into someone's home and, like, um, you know, enjoy their living room. But um, because we've had the chance to work in different bars and restaurants and, like, different small places around town, like, I get to I get to see and be around the work still. So, like, you know, it, yeah, it's not like I'm just putting things out into the ocean and never see, see them again. And so I really appreciate that. Yeah, I guess you get to you get to go down 
And this is a funny anecdote too, Stephanie. I found out that Dara, Dara and I used to live in the same building. I used to live in the building that she lives in right now. So I'm crazy. So you must get to uh, enjoy the Rosewood uh, cronuts and other absolutely unbelievable food there. Yeah. And see your, and see your work. So all, yeah. all the time. So every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes more. <laughs> but yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, thanks for thanks for sticking around, and it was uh, it ran a, not a bit late, but it's quite late now. So, really appreciate you taking the time, middle of the week. I mean, it's not like we'd be outside freezing our butts off, anyways. But <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for sharing everything that you did with us, and it was so great to get to know you. Yeah, me too. Hopefully. Um, I don't know if it'll happen this summer, but I feel like when things get up and running again, I'll see you guys and be able to say how to you at like show openings and gallery stuff or yeah, just different events. Looking forward to that. And now, a brief conversation between Maidcast and our title sponsor, Dialogue. Again, I'm sitting down with Ty Zeola, where we discuss how greatness floats the line between personal goals of the self and the collective goals of a society. I wanted to talk about greatness a little bit. And uh, in our previous communications, it was brought up. How do you measure success or 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 uh, like a great project as, as dialogue or as yourself personally? For me, obviously greatness and all of that is very subjective, right? So I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's not going to mean the same thing to everybody. So I, I think that in the, the age that we're in, you kind of need to plant your own flag about what's, what's important, uh, what's important to you personally, and then what's important to you as a firm. And hopefully you're in, um, hopefully you're in the right firm in the sense that, you know, what, what's great for you and what's excellence for you aligns, you know, in, in some way, like, like you feel like you can contribute to what is defined as excellence for, for the firm that you're at and the people that you work with. Um, and I think, you know, for, for me, that's kind of where the, the magic happens is if you're, you're working with, uh, like the, the people who are alongside you and you kind of, you, you have the same, you have the same values and you have the same goals and you're able to, to work together towards that, um, in, in a way that, that is really authentic, right. And that that's driven by things that you actually care about as, as a human on earth for a limited time. Right. And, and that's, yeah, I guess that's, um, yeah, maybe I have I'm having like mortality issues right now or something, but I, I really um, I, I'm realizing that you know each of us is only we're only here for a limited period of time, and we're only going to actually touch a limited number of projects, right? While while we're here, so what like what do you want to what do you want to prioritize, right? Like at the end of your life, what do you want to be able to say you've you've done as an impact? Um, and, and so, so for myself, that um, that has uh, to, through a lot of work, I guess it's kind of been distilled down to, to the idea that I, I really I want to be able to empower people to uh, have an impact in making the world better um, in a way that's meaningful to them, right? And um, 
So, so yeah, that, I mean, and that uh, for me has meant I, I have ended up taking on some of the more like ragtag uh, client groups who are, who are not necessarily uh, experienced in the process and they, they don't have their own change order forms and they, they don't have uh, necessarily, they, they don't necessarily know how to, how to approach that um, as a building project. But I, um, like for me, it's very meaningful to work with clients that um, maybe are not the typical client of, of a large architectural firm because they're um, the, the kind of change that they want to make in their community is um, is meaningful to them, right? And it's and they're passionately like all in, and and that um, and and then I feel very. I feel valuable also because then I can I can help them with, with something that they don't know how to do right they they don't know how to turn their their dream into a building I guess and so um so that that's really rewarding for me to be able to step in and, and help with that yeah and you make sure you got their back essentially that's uh that's yeah. they don't they don't maybe they don't know it so much but um you know that you know you got you got their back and and you can you can create those change order forms for them or whatever and sure I, i've got those right like they're in yeah. the chop <laughs> we're good <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah um with with the sort of with that sort of greatness um how do you as a person balance that struggle of like trying to do the right thing and doing the easy thing yeah and and it, it's it's huge right all all the time um yeah, all the time that there's an easy option, and this actually, um, this even goes back to your your first question about about greatness or, or whatever, right? I, I think as we seek to improve the the quality of, of the work we do, um, like you can't you can't just do it. You can't go with the, the first option, right? Like so, sometimes you you know you need to look at it from different perspectives, and um, and this is I'll, I'll just say this is an area of like personal growth, ongoing personal growth for me. Um, and yeah, for, for me personally, like, um, yeah, with my partner, Tyler, I would always, I would like do the first thing and he'd be like, oh, well, that, that's not very good. Like it would be better if you flipped the whole building and I'd have this like resistance, right? And it, and maybe, maybe it comes back to actually some of the same issues of, about being, you know, the, the solitary genius, right? And like, this is my idea that I, I want to round through and, um, but if you really look at it, like, yeah, the, the building would be happier if, if it was flipped the other way and we didn't have to cut down this 80 year old tree or, you know, like whatever the whatever the issues are. We, we um, I think bringing in those, those other perspectives is, is really important. But that then the challenge is, yeah, the challenge is within Young Grasshopper, right, uh, about having like actually being open to to making those changes and to, to spending that additional time and, and going back and revisiting things to, to make them better, right? Because um, it, it's hard. There, there's a million there's a million factors like even beyond your own um pride or or clinging to, to that creative kernel that are going to get in the way of that right like there's just hours in the day there's like money in the fee there's uh, you know like the, there's a million um there's, there's a million things challenging you uh to not not go back and, and revisit and, and make it better or inject that other perspective or have your idea kind of thrown out and, and start again but um I mean, it's it's usually worthwhile doing, right? To to a point. Um, I, and I also think that if you 
Uh, I, I'm getting better also at asking asking the right questions early enough in the process that it, it's not as much redesign, right? It's not as much like, oh, I went down the, this whole road on on the assumption of nothing, <laughs> right? Or the assumption of what was in my head. And instead, I think if you can inject those perspectives earlier and, and try to sort of synthesize them, you, you end up doing a little less rework. And, you know, but like you, you still want to... Yeah, I, I guess I'm saying you just want to you want to build the project on on really solid foundations as as you go through the process. Yeah, I, 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 there's probably we can't be too romantic and say you must fail to to get to the end result. Um, you know, like burn it burn it down, erase it all, kind of thing. But um, accepting again. that accepting that as a reality is, I think, fair. You know, saying like, okay, that wasn't working, or this is actually better. Sitting back, taking a deep breath depersonalizing yourself from it and saying okay yeah. just because it's not all my baby doesn't mean it's not perfect or better or whatever but then yeah being being smart about that and trying to find the failing earlier yeah i think what you're getting at so yeah and 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 you're right like i think um i mean and and it, I, I think everybody works really differently right but it's it's been notably harder uh, on the practicing side of school <laughs> to, um, to, to have those really productive pinups and, um, you know, and, and just, just make time to bring in more eyes on it and be, be really open to, to what those, uh, what those are. And I, like, I, I value the people I work with so much for, the, for their opinion. And, and, you know, we, we certainly try to do, <laughs> do more pinups, like every, everything with the pinup that is, you know, a, a nice, honest, enough where you come to the table and say like, hey, you know, I, I'm actually willing to take this advice and, and you know, throw it out if necessary or make big changes. Like, like every time that happens, the project gets better, right? Just more, more perspectives and more eyes on it. But there, I mean, there, there's challenges in making time to do it, but it's, it's valuable, right? We, we know that. <laughs> yeah, we, we know it, but we also, like you said, we, we know that there's certain practical things that get in the way, like fees and, and essentially it comes down to like energy too at the same point like yeah. it's uh it can be because that, that's what i'm thinking about is like uh, at what point does it become burnout when you when you uh, keep trying to push and push and push a design or a thing or a project that you're doing and then you have to step back and say okay it's good it's done yeah yeah it, that, that happens <laughs> yeah. burnout happens yeah to hear more of this conversation with dialogue follow our social media or visit joinmade.org. Special thanks on this episode to Jordan Ast for music, mixing, and mastering. The rest of the team includes Inka Gongle, Caitlin Schultz, Stephanie Pollock, and me, Cody Johnston. Maidcast is produced in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If this conversation intrigued you, head over to your favorite podcast app and show us some love. If you want to learn more about Maid, who we are, what we're up to, and how you can help us out, head over to joinmade.org.